The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. Happy ADA Month. As you know, every year for the past, let's see, 12 years, I think it is, we have celebrated leaders in the disability community every July. Because I think it's important to really remember that we have a history and you know, sometimes people don't realize that we do have a history because we need to make it more known throughout the United States, and we need to be the people that push that out, which is why our guest today is all about what I just said. You know, he was on this show before a long time ago, but that is not a time period of passion. In other words, it continues forever. Uh, anyone you talk to about this person, the first thing they say is he is so passionate about the disability community. And he is, he's a national leader. He's the director of advocacy at the Shepherd Center. Welcome to the show, Mark Johnson. Welcome. I appreciate that. That's a nice welcome, quite the intro. Um, well, it's you, well, the rights leader that you are. I told somebody years ago, I said, you have to. Each of us has to make decisions, so I, I think I made it a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I guess you did make it a lifestyle. Well, well, can, well yeah. since you brought it up that way, Mark, uh, how about to all our listeners throughout the country, how about how you first became involved in the disability community as an advocate? Because as you well know, there are many people living with disabilities, but few that decide to be an advocate. So what made that choice for you? Well, I think what's important for the audience to know is it's a process. You know, I meant uh, I was injured in 1971 um, uh, as a result of a, a diving uh, injury to my spinal cord. And so, you know, um, even today, you know, people see disabilities negative. So obviously, you know, here I was um, as a result of this injury. Uh, needing to use a wheelchair to get around, needing different sites of assistance on a daily basis. And, you know, so it took me a while to to, to actually um, own my disability as part of my identity. Um, in fact, I just got off a phone call about, you know, how to promote um, identity and disability pride. And so I think the first thing the audience knows, it just doesn't happen overnight. And, and it is a process, and it takes a while. I, I know for me... You know, it, it was obviously 1971 when I got injured, but it really wasn't until about 75 or 76 that I actually started getting involved. Well, why did you get involved? What, what made you do that? What was the well, event that caused you to make that decision? Uh, you know, I think some of it's my faith, you know, and, 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 and what I've learned 
you know, through my, my faith journey. I think some of it's just real good upbringing by my parents. Um, you know, both are difference makers. Um, you know, I, I, my mom was out there uh, monitoring accessible parking places uh, probably before me <laughs> to make sure people didn't violate those places. So, um, you know, I just think a mixture between my faith and, and, and my upbringing, my parents, was part of it. The other thing was I just I was tired of being treated a certain way. You know, I've been using a, a either a manual or power wheelchair for over 40 years, and, you know, there are things that just were wrong, and there were things that, you know, I, you know, I might not have called it back then a discrimination. I, 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 it took me a while to finally say, yes, it is discrimination, and there are other people um, that are experiencing it too, and that's wrong, and that needs to stop. So I think it's a mix of, um, once again, my faith and my, my upbringing and my own personal experience and then uh, experience of peers. Okay, well, we have a listener here from Alabama, and the, her name is Cindy, and the question is, Mark, I think it's wonderful what you do, but what gives someone the ability to move on and not fall in an abyss after an accident that changes your life? So the, the question is what, what strategies might an individual um, utilize to keep them from falling? And, yeah, into depression. Um, you know, I, I, you know, once again, I go back to, you know, one of it's my faith, and and two of it's reaching out to other people. Um, my, my first involvement, actually, I would say in the movement was was a support group. Um, a handful of us started uh, what was known then as the Metrolina chapter of the National Paraplegia Foundation. You know, now it's United Spinal Association. But wow, is that yeah. right? Yeah, that is unbelievable. Yeah, that was my first involvement about '76 uh, or so, right before my I finished college. My, you know, um, my 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 graduate degree, and all of a sudden I had a little time on my hands while I was trying to find work, um, and a handful of us said, "Hey, why don't we just get together and talk a little bit?" You know um, about you know our common experience. So, I, for your listener, I, you know, I, you know, I don't know if they're a person of faith or not. I don't want to be, but I know it's important. It's a daily part of my life. And the second part is just fi- there are plenty of people out there experiencing. Don't ever feel you're alone because you're not. There are plenty of people out there experiencing things, and it's just a matter of finding them. And in some ways. It's easier to find them today than it was then. You know, we we didn't have all this technology and social media. And I'm not saying that's a substitute for a real conversation or face-to-face interaction, but but you can connect. So I I would encourage the the listener. Um, oh, and then there's a simple thing. I don't want to make I don't want to make it sound that simple, but it is. I mean, people say, "Well, how are you doing today?" And I say, "Fine," because I don't like the alternative. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean there because, as I know you know and most of my listeners know, it's when I was 31 as a result of a misdiagnosis of epilepsy that I had the seizure at the movie theater and fractured my skull and had life-saving brain surgery. So when people say to me, oh, doesn't it bother you when you're getting older, I say, well, no. 
think of the alternative. Yeah, and I and and I don't want to trivialize. I mean, it, is it easy? No. Is it hard? Do I have my ups and downs? Oh yeah. I mean, I I, I clearly have my ups and downs, and um, and it and it, it's not easy. Um, you know, but once again, I like I say me personally, I you know I um, you know I try to I try to keep the noise away, and I try to listen. You know, and and when I listen, I get calmer. Mhm. Yeah, and and your faith. Yeah. Very helpful. Yeah. So, Mark, I know some people listening to the show do not have any idea about the Shepherd Center. So, how about if you tell everyone what the Shepherd Center is? Well, it, it's almost back to your caller's um, question too. Was you know I mean you know we we kind of grow up in a culture um, where you know a lot of times the the messages are, you know, that, oh, you can't make a difference, or, oh, a uh, small group can't make a difference. And I think it was it Margaret Mitchell, that's a great quote mm-hmm. um, about, you know, um, that kind of flips that and says, you know, individuals, you know, um, or how difference, how, how change gets created. So, you know, over 35 years ago, a guy named James Shepard, um, I just graduated to college in his uh, at University of Georgia, and his parents, um, you know, for a graduation gift, you know, um, sent him on a trip, and he was in Brazil, and he uh, had a, um, a spinal cord, a body servant accident. They injured his spinal cord. And when they medically stabilized him, they brought him back to the states, and brought him back to Atlanta, and there was no place for him to get his rehab, and. They fortunately had the resources to uh, send him to Colorado to, to get his rehab. And when he came back, you know, him and his mom and other individuals and other family members kind of got together and said, hey, maybe something like that needs to start here in Atlanta so we, people have access and people that don't have resources don't have to go without or or or, or whatever. And so they started the Shepherd Center. Uh, back then, it was called the Shepherd Spinal Center because initially um, it only served people with spinal cord injuries. And th- their dream started with six lease beds, um, you know. Um, and so, obviously, when people come here now with n- uh, new brain injuries or new spinal cord injuries, um, and, you know what the message is: is there is hope and, and there is life after disability. And um, you know, we'll show. We'll show you as much as we can while you're here, and we'll introduce you to people who've been there and done that. And so that's how the center got started. One person, one family, um, six lease beds to the largest of its kind in the world. Um, James is the, still the chair of the board. His mom still welcomes uh, folks that, that come here for services. Um, you know, there are other people with disabilities and family members on the different boards, and on the staff, and and volunteers. So, um, great place that's only going to get better. See, the, look at those two examples Shepherd Center and United Spinal. Look how they started. You know, yeah. amazing when you think about that. Absolutely amazing. Well, you know, you're, I, th- I think we grow up, you know, once again, one of those messages. And I understand the messages, but they're all garbages. 
you know, you, you grow up with someone else knows what's best, and then what you realize is, well, actually, maybe I know what's best because guess who's living this experience? You know, it's it's the whole mantra of the movement: nothing about us without us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before we go to the next question, we have Mark from Maine. Uh, Mark, my question, I guess, is more of a comment. I will tell you in reality that when you're around people from the disability community, it's like everything's okay. But when you go back into the world, if you're in a chair, people look at you, they treat you different, they make you feel inferior. Um, I'm just saying that's hard to deal with. I, I, that's a that's a great statement. Um, you know, it, it's it, I, guess, I guess it comes down to you know what role you want to play. I mean, um, you know, I can tell my uh, my leg back jokes or my spasticity jokes. You know, with my peers, you know. Um, some of those jokes might might be too funny to people that don't know, um, you know. But I, you know, I, it's it's a mix. You know, I um, I would agree with the caller um, uh, that that you know um, it is much more comfortable. Um, but you know, individually and collectively, you know, we continue to expand the possibilities. I I always like to use this one. You know, when when ADA passed, did anybody ever think that there'd be this surface created um, that could lay across soft sand. You could go out the beach and be with anybody else. Or, um, you know, what, what does that do? It introduces the other people. So all of a sudden people go, oh, they never knew why you weren't out there. And they, they never had the opportunity to meet you. And they never had the opportunity to learn about you. But now because you have access or, or now that you're being included, you know their barriers break down. I'm, I I can only put it in historical context. You know, um, forty plus years ago, I'm creating accessible parking places by taking two. You know, now they're building codes that mandate it. So I agree with the caller that it's it, it's it's easier to be with folks who have common experiences. Um, you know, and, and but you know, I, I feel my role is to kind of gradually break down those barriers so that that uh, more people understand more people are accept accept you know acceptant and and that there's more inclusion right yeah and you know, as you said earlier it's a process it's a process there also but we got to keep moving forward now mark this month ADA month one of the greatest leaders was Justin Dart uh, I think that we all miss him, love him, but I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about Justin and what you thought he think he meant to the disability community. Well, I, I at risk of leaving some details out, <laughs> but I, you know, Justin obviously was a person with disability who, who could have assimilated, who could have um, passed, who. Who could, you know had the 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 personal and, and and family resources to not have to make a difference, um, and and so him and and ultimately his wife Yoshko, who's still alive today, you know are difference makers and they believe in justice and they believe you know in equity and they believe in 
in civil and human rights. And so, you know, I was fortunate enough to meet Justin um, initially by phone. And then when him and Yoshko started traveling back and forth across the country before ADA was passed, I got to meet him in person. And, and then, you know, after that, I even got to march with him in Philly or in, in Pennsylvania where we dressed up in the powdered wigs and kind of reenacted a little bit of history around the Liberty Bell and bringing attention to the need for something like ADA. So, you know, once again, a a man who, you know, uh, didn't have to get involved, but was compelled to be involved and got involved and used a lot of his own personal resources to make a difference. And so, you know, I I still have my memory moves up. You know, Justin and Yosko give out these little... And I bet you got one. You know, there are these little cups. You know, um, you know they they have this tendency to 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 they, their mailing list must be huge, or her her mailing list now must be huge, because you know they 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 remember birthdays and but they Yosko just sent me a note about Lindsay getting married this weekend. You know what I meant? So uh, you know they they take the time to to reach out to folks and stay in, in contact with them and. And to to provide them a, a pat on the back every once in a while. You know what? Isn't that amazing, Yoshiko? Well, first of all, I did meet Justin, and I, I just wish I would have known him longer, because I really didn't get to know him well. But the little that I did, I mean, I just really, really was so impressed by him. However, I'm a, I'm good friends with Yoshiko, and Yoshiko, I know you're probably listening to this show, so. You know, lead on, Yoshiko. She has done so much to continue carrying on uh, Justin's spirit. But this is just another example of what I mean about disability history and how we have to figure out how to formalize that more. And that's why, Mark, I am so excited about the work you're doing on this ADA legacy project because... As we all know, the 2050 anniversary is not that far from now, and uh, I don't even know how you first came up with this idea, but could you share with our listeners what this project is? Um, sure. I, I um, you know, don't know how much, it, whether your listeners have ever seen. A couple of years, there's a guy named Fred Fay. He's passed away since, just like Justin. And, and Fred was up in the Boston area, and, Fred had been uh, real involved early on in the movement. And, you know, Fred um, uh, ran into a guy who makes documentaries. And the the guy that makes documentaries was fascinated with Fred's personal story. Um, And so, you know, for a number of years, he was pursuing resources to create this documentary about Fred. And Fred was just very uncomfortable with you know, a story just about Fred. And so Fred kept saying to, to Eric Nadell, the, the director, and Allison Gilkey, the producer, I might have that messed up, <laughs> but they both were involved in making the documentary. And, and so, you know, Fred kept insisting, well, if, I don't mind being a central character in a bigger story. And so ultimately, before Fred passed away, he got to see the final version of that story. It's called Life's Worth Living. And it's a, about an hour documentary that documents the 
display rights movement from the passage of the Architectural Barriers Act in 1968. And, and I think we'll have to step back. That's 45 years ago, wow. older than a lot of your listeners. Wow. <laughs> um, but that was the first time, really, where the federal government acknowledged that people with disabilities had civil rights. Uh, granted, it, re- it was it was uh, related to brick and mortar, meaning making buildings uh, accessible. But but nonetheless, you know, that life's worth living documents from 1968 to Bush signing ADA in 1990. And there was we we had Eric and Allison down here to screen that. You know, later on it went to play on PBS twice. You know, it's available for purchase now. Uh, Judy Human. Uh, not only showed it um, uh, the State Department D.C., but now it's in the different um, 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 embassies around the world being shown. Um, and so we have this very rich um, history, very powerful story. And and even though other documentaries have been done and other books have been written since, well, before and since this this documentary, uh, this documentary came out, and, and I was sitting there at the screening and we got to talk to Eric and Allison afterwards and they talked about, you know, just how fascinated they were and how intrigued they were. And, and But they also talked about how hard it was to find our history and how much of it had already probably been lost. So it's it's back to that caller or, who said something about when I'm with other people with disabilities comfortable when I'm not. I'm not. Well, all those folks who aren't comfortable don't understand the value of what some people have in their boxes that they've collected. And so, you know, I made a pledge to some folks that maybe we could bring together some people to talk about how do we do a better job of, at minimum, preserving uh, the content, our history. And so last August, we uh, had a thing called the the ADA 25 Summit. And we had um, curators and historians and people that make documentaries and storytellers and activists and community organizers and, you know, just people to sit down and talk about, okay, let's talk about what are we doing to preserve our history? What are we doing to celebrate it? And what are we doing to educate folks, not just about the history of what still needs to be done. And what emerged out of that was the ADA Legacy Project. In fact, if you go to Facebook, you know, facebook.com slash ADA Legacy, about 800 people have joined the conversation. Um, and we, we identified a lot of things that we thought needed to be done. And and it was an overwhelming list. And, and to our satisfaction, between August of last year and the beginning of this year, what we were able to do was find people who are already doing some of this. Um, and so the ADA Legacy Project has really become a clearinghouse for people that are preserving, celebrating, and educating. Um, I had gotten involved in the 10th anniversary of ADA, and, and it took over two years to plan the 10th anniversary, and we ended up doing you know, um, the Spirit of ADA Torch Relay. Yeah, you know, I remember that. Yeah, 24 cities in two months. Mm-hmm. And, and each city that the torch stopped in had a story, whether it was Topeka, uh, bringing attention to uh, Brown versus Board of Education, separate never equals, or whether it was Warm Springs, Georgia, where FDR had the Little White House, or whether it was across the Pettus Bridge 
or civil rights activists, uh, you know, really, um, you know, went across the bridge against all odds, you know, and so so we began to tell stories, you know, then and then, you know, um, we kind of drifted apart, and here's this opportunity now to come together again, um, not much more than two years out to plan not just a national celebration, but an international celebration. And when I say that, Joyce, you probably remember when the torch went through D.C. around the anniversary. Mm-hmm. You know, it was with the Clintons at the FDR yep. Memorial. Yep. Um, and then it was at the Union Station, the overcrowded party over there. I remember. I was at that party. Yeah. And then, but, you know, a lot. some people don't know that the torch... Um, one was lit off King's tomb, and two was lit by George Bush in Houston. And that combined flame was the one that went around the, the country. Well, it didn't stop on the anniversary. It went up to New York and the U.N. plaza and was handed off to uh, officials at the U.N. to kind of symbolize that, that the movement's not just one city, not one state, not one country. And so... The ADA Legacy Project's born. We got a small grant, one, to put together the summit. We got another small grant to hire a part-time staff person um, to do some coordination, because uh, once again, we're a clearinghouse. And the website um, should be live early August that will help people understand not just what we've identified, uh, but how they can get involved. So this idea for the ADA Legacy Project, it started when then? A couple years ago. Oh, that is so awesome. That is really great. Yeah, I want to tell you a little bit more of my opinion about the reason for this history, us having this history. But first, we have to go to break. You are listening to Joyce Bender talking about the disability culture, history, and with our truly great guest, Mark Johnson. Joyce Bender, Disability Matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Mark. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. 
A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven. Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. We are talking today to Mark Johnson about some exciting projects that are going on. But there is, I was talking to Mark at break, and I do want to differentiate something. Mark, could you explain the difference between ADA 25 and the Legacy Project. Well, the, the ADA Legacy Project obviously is what emerged out of the summit last year, and uh, the hope is that the, the, the project uh, continues beyond the 25th anniversary. Uh, but the actual anniversary has a name, and we're calling it ADA 25. So um, next August uh, in Houston, um, we kick off... Um, um, the ADA Legacy Tour and began to start building toward the 25th anniversary. So the ADA project, ADA 25 is actually an, an activity of the of the Legacy Project. Wow, and that will be so exciting, won't it? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, you know, when you're right now, in fact, this, this year, um, you can access a toolkit to help you plan the 23rd anniversary of ADA. I mean, the toolkit is something that the ADA network um, created um, 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 several years ago, around the 20th, and they keep building the content for that toolkit. So, so each year they add more and more content, you know, like template, you know, uh, proclamations or talking points or or um, sample press releases or. Um, statistical information about our community and stuff that anybody in any um, you know uh, city or or county or state can use to plan their um, um, commemoration it it's not about folks in DC or folks here in Atlanta planning something for you it's about providing you some content so if you want to be an ADA 25 contact person it's easy to go to the facebook page and it'll be even easier to go to the website and you'll be able to be part of this this network of people who um are going to plan stuff in their community so yes there'll be events in dc just like there were or there are in every anniversary in fact you're part of i think one coming up what july 23rd yep yes i am yeah so you know aapd will be having their for all. Yeah. And and so uh, obviously 
as this website evolves, you'll be able to click on the district, you'll be able to see who's working on what in your area, or you may be the person working on something. So once again, where do our listeners go? Right now, uh, facebook.com slash ADA Legacy. You know, facebook.com slash ADA Legacy. And then within the next month, uh, maybe five or so weeks, um, there'll actually be an ADA Legacy website. It'll be adalegacy.com. In fact, um, if you type in adalegacy.com now, it will take you to the Facebook page. Okay, and is that... um the same place people would go that are interested in the ADA 25. Yes. In fact, okay. on the Legacy Project, there will be an a ADA 25 section, everything from a sample logo that you can use in your community to access to the toolkit. Um, there's some seventh graders out in the Texas, out in the Austin, Texas area, and they participated in um, National History Day um, this year, it's a it's a national competition uh, for different age groups, and they picked ADA as their project, and they won um, the local contest, they won the regional contest, they won um, the state of Texas. They went to the national competition, and their website on ADA uh, got second place. Um, and so, when you come to the Legacy Project website. Uh, you'll be able to access, once again, the ADA 25 section. And under the ADA 25 section, you'll find tools in there uh, to plan um, something locally and be connected to something, um, you know, um, nationally and internationally. And, and one of those tools we're, gonna, we're including in there is the seventh graders award-winning website. It has interviews. Uh, Yosko's interviewed in there, in fact. Um, there's interviews in there. There's, it's just neat pictures um, of, of people and protests and buttons and bumper stickers. And, in fact, uh, the um, Catherine Ott with the uh, Smithsonian um, has taken the 10th anniversary of ADA website that they had, and they've uh, uh, refreshed it and added a bunch of more content. You know, that website's already out there. Um, you know, so there's m- much more of our stories being documented. Much more of it is getting in the formats where it can be shared. And what, once again, we're trying to do with the Alexi project is saying, um, here's a good place to start. Here's your clearinghouse. Here's where you can find out about this stuff. This is how you can be involved in it, um, um, you know, kind of stuff. Well, that's a lot of exciting things going on. Hey, we do have a question from David in Michigan. And the question is, uh, I guess it's a comment, Mark, I'm really glad that you're doing this work because it is unbelievable to me that when you are in high school and first go to college that no one talks about any of these disability rights leaders. They talk about other groups but they don't talk about the disability group. Do you think that will change? It's another great question. Um, I mean, a really good question. Um, it's interesting you said it because I, I was just uh, right before this this uh, the show. Um, I was on a call about once again how do you um, increase people, um, you know, display identity and display culture. And uh, one of the folks um, on that call. Um, is working with young folks uh, where they take in uh, more experienced folks in the schools uh, 
and begin to tell them about their history and begin to tell them about um, leaders of, of the movement. And um, so I think a lot of it is really up to us. I mean, uh, you know, we can't, we can't expect people who don't live it, uh, don't understand it. It's not in their backyard to somehow wake up one morning and say, ah, we need to do this. But what I have found is people who are passionate about history or social studies, um, once they're introduced to the something like a life's worth living, or once they're introduced, um, I mean, there's there's a brick and mortar museum in Buffalo, New York, right now about our movement. There's a, a, a that in-depth website that the Smithsonian has done. Um, I've I've asked people, I'd ask like your listener if if they have a way to get down to the public library, that the first thing they do is go up to the the search desk and say, hey, would you help me find stuff related to display rights in the library? I mean, it started real basic, um, but it's, it will change if we want it to, and it will change if we get involved with it. If we just wait, and I'm not implying that your listeners doing that, but if, if in general people wait, um, it won't change, or it will change so slow. Uh, it may not be in our lifetime, but once again, I've found librarians, you know, historians, uh, professors of studies. You know, one of the things we've seen grow is is display studies in, in colleges and universities around the country, where just like women's studies or African-American studies, now you have display studies. In fact, you have a group called the Disability Studies Society just had its annual meeting in Orlando, and they'll be in uh, Minnesota next year, and the year after that they're going to be in Atlanta. Um, but you can go to the Society on Disability Studies website right now, and you begin to introduce academia and teachers and, and folks like that to these resources because I think a lot of them don't even know people are interested. They don't know that these resources exist. So they think it's kind of an overwhelming task where all they got to do is click on this or call that number. Wow. What is that site again? Um, it's Society on Disability Studies. Society on Disability Studies. Yeah. That's if you just Google Society on Disability Studies. Um, it's a organization of, I think it's seven or 800 folks who teach or are involved in disability studies at colleges and universities around the country. They even have access to curriculum. I mean, the, the Defamation League actually on their website has some disability rights curriculum that you can, I think it's like even different age levels. You know. Wow, no, I didn't know about that. Yeah, that that is awesome. It already exists, you know, um, where informally or formally people can use it. And, that, and once again, that's the role the ADA project uh, is going to try to play is, uh, once again, a clearinghouse. You know, where do, instead of Googling and going through multiple sites, just come to the project website and connect and use those resources in your community to advocate and make a difference and change the current paradigm. Then our story is not about, you know, it may include, you know, stories about paternalism, but it's not paternalism. It's about power. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. No pity. We need power. That That is so true, Mark. I mean, look well, at right now. You know, we can't even get the Senate to to uh, ratify 
CRPD or the Convention on the Rights of People does. We we can't we can't even right now we haven't we're, we still it's still legal to to pay uh, people with disabilities a subminimum wage. You know we 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 have we've won some hard fought battles, but 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 it's not over. And one of the things the project um, hopes to do through its partnership with groups like uh, the National Disability Leadership Alliance. Um, you know, which is like 14 consumer control groups, is to not just talk about the past and not just celebrate the present, but to, to once again, what do we still need to do over the next 25 years to to, to um, get rid of barriers and, and to create inclusion and expand support? And so, so the the obviously ADA 25 won't just be about you know uh, past accomplishments. It's about be about a call to action about what still needs to be done. And and be included, by the way, you know, with uh, Section 503 written 40 years ago, but still not enforced for people with disabilities as it is for females and minorities with federal contractors. There are so many things like that, just as you said, that uh, CRPD, shameful, right there, shameful that anyone would try to stop that. And then... This subminimum wage, you know, these are all things we need to take action on and change. But to do that, we also have to work together as one versus little different groups everywhere. And, Mark, I am just so impressed with everything you've done. You truly are making a difference for all of us. So I have to ask you this question. Who inspired you? What? You know, early on, I said, you know, my faith and my family, and and um, and then my own personal experience. And I, you know, I um, my my mentor uh, was a guy named uh, um, uh, Wade Blank. He was a ordained Presbyterian minister. And um, even though I'd had a lot of people uh, supporting me over the years, when I when I moved to Denver, Colorado in 1981, um, you know, Wade. Um, Kind of took this uh, nice southern young man, you know, and gave him a little dose of, uh, uh, you know, radicalism. Um, meaning, you know, Mark, you may, um, you know, um, you, you know, we are the experts. We have solutions, um, and when people don't listen to them, we have to get in their face. It's just like I've already sent out a couple emails over the last you know, a couple of days about CRPD. You know, when I think about the almost month-long sit-ins in 1977 to get 504 regulations signed, when I think about the Death President Now campaign in 88, when I think about the crawl up the West Steps and over 100 people getting arrested at the United States Capitol in 1990, I go, you know, when Senator Hatch went to the floor and said what he said about my rights, I would have been in his office the next morning if I had lived in D.C., you know. And so it, it's time to quit, you know, um, playing the political capital games, and it's time to get back in some people's faces. I mean, when a Senator Hatch, he can go, he can hide behind the fact that he supported ADA, but the reality is he is putting his anti-UN sentiment ahead of my rights. That's wrong, and he needs to be held accountable. Um, and so I don't... You know, 
it's easy maybe some people to say, oh, you old guys and all that protest stuff went out. No, it, it's still alive and it's still needed and it still works. And and I look forward to continuing to work with the younger folks as we transition into this next phase of the movement. But but I hope next week when when the National Council of Independent Living is in town in D.C., that some of the whatever seven eight hundred thousand people or whatever that that some pay a little visit over to Senator Hatch and and let them know just how we feel. Right. You know, whenever this happened the first time when we were voted down, I sent something around everywhere. I have three words: shame on you to the yeah, senator. I mean, shame it, on you. Yeah, I mean, and and it is shame on you. But as you said, if you if you don't do something, we have to you know we have to stand up, speak up, speak out. We have to do something. You we know, can't, yeah, for, we can't be afraid, Joyce. I mean, you know, um, we can't be afraid. There's no reason for people to be afraid. You know, people weren't afraid in '77. They weren't afraid in '88. They weren't afraid in '90. Um, good grief! When you buy something at uh, the local. Um, um, you know, department store, and you don't like it, you're not afraid to take it back, are you? Well, your rights, our rights are real important. And right now, um, as far as I'm concerned, they're being threatened by some folks. And those folks need to be held accountable. And they need to be held accountable in the in, in the, the public arena. And some of the ways to draw attention to, the, to that is to make media, and some ways to make a media that do media is to take direct action, you know, and if it if it direct action involves in civil civil disobedience, so be it. Um, you know, because um you know, it it it's 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 if it's on one end it's embarrassing that our Senate can't ratify it, but the other thing it's appalling and there and there are there are people and so called leaders and segments of 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 um Different elected parties that are clearly putting their their UN agenda ahead of my rights. Um, so I don't care how they voted in 1990. Right now they're making something more important than my rights, and they need to be held accountable. Right. Yeah, we need to learn really from other groups, and we can't be like weaklings because then you're just playing into that uh, stigma that that people have about us. Uh, you know, we have to stand up and do something and, and not be afraid because fear is what's going to hold us back. So I'm really glad you said that, Mark, because I so much believe in what you're saying. And, and so, don't get Mark, me wrong. wow. It's, yeah. You it's have just, already accomplished so much in your life. It's unbelievable. But I have to ask you, of all of these things, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment? Wow. You know, I, on, on a personal level, uh, you know, married over 30 years, and on a personal level, um, um, a uh, strong young woman, daughter, 29, is like I said earlier, is getting married this Saturday. Um, you know, I, I I think also on a personal level, just you know, continue to to commit to my faith journey because it's not something that just happens overnight. Um, so you know, I think that faith journey is important. That that you know, family journey is important. As far as the disability rights movement, um, you know, I, I you know, I kind of measure that every week. Um, 
if I've gotten one more person involved in the movement um, and I can measure that and show that, then that's what really satisfies me. And I'm excited about the 30 and under folks. I mean, granted, you know, some people say, oh, they they don't understand the struggle. and Oh, they're just benefiting from, you know, um, a lot of this <clears throat> struggle and hard work of, of folks. Uh, bottom line is um, it's their time. It's their time, um, and however I can support young folks um, to to finish this work, um, I'll be happy to do it. Well, yeah, because I already have people that have called in on radio shows saying, we know who Judy Human is, or we know who uh, Mark Abrist is, or Mark Johnson, or Tony Quello, or whomever. We know who these people are, Ed Roberts. But who are the new people? You know, you you call up to the Access Living in Chicago, and Mark has done a great job of um, providing a an environment there for young folks. So it's re- whether it's Ronnie Kilpatrick or, or excuse me, or whether it's Amber Schmock or whether it's Sarah Triana who who left Chicago. I mean, Sarah was one of the folks that helped create one of the first disability prides ten years ago in Chicago. She goes out to California, becomes a director of an independent living center out there, and that center then becomes uh, a lot of the infrastructure to create a disability pride parade out there. And then recently, Sarah then became um, uh, uh, Governor uh, Brown, appointed her uh, to to work on employment issues on behalf of the state. So the young folks out there, you know, Christina Mills is out there in California. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm dropping names, and I should have never started that um, because there are plenty of young folks out there, um, you know, Tammy, who's the new chair of um, the Society uh, on Disability Studies and lives in Minnesota, um, they're out there and they're getting connected. Um, and I think us uh, older guard folks uh, just need to step back and say, how can we help? Right. I, I, granted, I they're smart enough to, to learn about um, where we've been, and they're smart enough to know where we are. and uh, But now they've got to step up, uh, just like with the CRPD thing. The CRPD thing is not a battle for old folks. This is something that we collectively as a community have to decide how important it is, just like ending the institutional bias, just like ending the sub-minimum wage. In fact, if we're, if we're really smart, I think what we do, and I know Paul Tobin with United Spinal, um, who's younger than me, in uh, part of NDLA, what they're working on is what is the call to action for this president and Congress? What do they need to accomplish between now and July 26, 2015? Well, they can not only implement 503, they can put an end to institutional bias, they can put an end to subminimum wage, they can ratify CRPD. There are things they can do between now and July 26, 2015 if we decide the demand they do it, and if we hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, we are, we're listening. We are holding you accountable, and we are going to all step up, get fired up, do something, make a difference. So, Mark, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Um, we are the solution. Um, and to be honest, if you... Um, don't believe that, then you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there is support out there, and you're not alone. 
um, there are ways to to be involved. Um, uh, you do have power. Um, you do make a difference. Um, you are valuable. Um, there's a lot of positive messages out there. And I go back to that listener. I think it was from Alabama or whatever. Um, there will be ups and downs. Uh, but the alternative, I don't like the alternative. And I'd much rather say, hey, um, I'm going to enjoy my life while I'm here. Um, and the only way for me to enjoy it is to be part of the solution. Well, Mark, we love you. Well, you are I appreciate a wonderful the opportunity. Person. You are a wonderful person, a great role model, uh, and I, I just think it's so great to have leaders like you that, as you said, can inspire other young people to, you know, take that baton and move forward. Well, just know I have a lot of people that make me look good. You know, <laughs> you know, I have attendants who help me, you know, get dressed and get me up, and I have. Uh, you know, um, just a lot of people in my life who provide me valuable support because I decided a long time ago that I wasn't independent, that I was interdependent, and I needed people in my life to get things done. And so it took me a while to get to that point to where, you know, I would realize that I'm not in control. Um, I need to listen, and I need to accept support. Yeah. Well, well, that is good, good advice for everyone. Well, Mark? We end every show, as my listeners know, with a quote from a famous civil rights leader or someone that has just impacted those of us with disabilities in this world one way or another. So our quote today, and I love it, take it personally, says Mark Johnson. Thanks a lot. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Happy birthday, ADA. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.